Good morning and welcome to Mayflower. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're joining us via the live stream. This morning, we are very excited to have Boy Scout Troop 271 worshiping with us this morning. And as I'm making the announcement, the Boy Scouts that we're ushering in the back, if you would come and join us in the front pew. This troop has met at Mayflower on Thursday nights for the past 37 years. They faithfully provide service for this church. A few of the things that they do are each spring they spread yards and yards and yards of mulch that cover all of our landscaping. They're an integral part of our setup and our teardown multiple times during the year for our Boy Scout troops. And they have produced multiple Eagle Scouts and just amazing leadership. So we're so excited to have you here. If you would stand up so we can all see you, stand up, turn around, wave at everyone, and you can wave at everyone back home. Thank you so much for being here. It is a national event this um, first Sunday of February for Boy Scout troops to be a part of the worship service in the churches that they attend. Last week, we announced that we were going to have our first midweek worship service in the chapel. And wouldn't you know, we had to cancel it because of snow. So this Wednesday at 530, for all those who would like to join us in the chapel, we would love to have you come for our midweek worship. In the mail, the last week or so, you should have received our abridged newsletter. It is January and February. It's a little lighter than it usually is. But on the back, you will see we have listed all of the Bible studies and other groups that meet here throughout the week that you are welcome to join at any time. If you have any questions, you can contact the office. Many times people come up to us and express their concern about where is everyone at Mayflower? And me being a staff member, I get to be here all week, and I get to see all the people that come and go throughout the doorways. So this week we're going to take a census, and we're going to begin this morning with our Sunday morning worship service, and we are going to take attendance at all of the events that will happen throughout this week. And then we will report back to you how many people came through the doors of Mayflower throughout the week. I'd like to now invite Julia to come forward and share about today's beautiful music. Today's organ music is some of the finest 20th century French music, beginning with Olivier Messiaen, which really kind of settled the air this morning in our sanctuary, the celestial banquet. And um, later on, you will hear music by Jean Langlais, who was a contemporary of Messiaen's, uh, also an organist in the city of Paris. Uh, The choir is singing an anthem during the offertory, which is a musical setting of the Bible scripture that the uh, sermon is based on today. So that first chapter of 1 Peter, a composition by one of the great 19th century um, English composers for church music, Samuel Sebastian Wesley. 
Um, you will hear some influence of Mendelssohn. That's because Wesley, as a young uh, adult, was living in London, which was a city where a lot of those famous composers from other countries in Europe came and performed. Um, and so Mendelssohn was there, Spohr was there, and other big names of the time. Uh, Samuel Sebastian Wesley is probably most well known as the composer of the tune Aurelia, which is in our hymnal. We sing that melody to the words, um, the church is one foundation. Good morning, everyone. My name is Eric, and I've been with Troop 271 for a while. And on behalf of Troop 271, thank you for allowing us to worship with you. As we gather together this morning, may we all take a moment to reflect with the other churches around the country who are celebrating Sunday morning worship with their scout troops. May we know that all these relationships bring us all together to serve God and those around us. As the scout grows and learns to live by the scout oath and creed of being trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, and brave, and reverent, may you as Mayflower Congregation celebrate with the lives of the boys you have hosted through the years. 37. Thank you very much for that. And um, continue to walk alongside with us as we all grow to be what God has called us to become as young men and gentlemen to lead in the future. Let us all join in worship this morning, and thank you.
may we come to you this morning with our hearts softened, our minds open, and our worship sincere. May we be presence-focused, training ourselves to see you in all that is around us, so that we do not lose sight of the blessings of today by our worries for tomorrow. May your peace fill us now as we gather together. Amen. I'd like to invite all the other children worshiping with us to join the choir up here for the children's message. I'm going to have you girls scoot this way so Corbin 
Friends, we have a very special guest that is going to do the children's message today. And he is so tall, this is going to be hard for you to imagine, but he used to be you on the stairs. Corbin has gone to church since he was little, and so now he is big, and he is a Boy Scout, and he is going to do the children's message with you. Does anyone know what this is? Right on. This is Mama Bear, a stuffed polar bear that I have grown up with. One of my dad's coworkers gave it to me on the day I was born, and it originally came with a mother and a baby bear, polar bear. And as such, I named this bigger one Mama Bear. I took this bear everywhere, to the grocery store, the doctor's office, and even the post office. This bear was my first stuffed animal from my crib, and I connected it with feeling safe and comfortable. I turned to this bear when I felt scared or worried, and it offered me comfort and helped me cope with the changes in my young life. As I became more independent and engaged in school, sports, and my friends, I began to forget about Mama Bear, and I realized I didn't need her anymore. My friends did not have a Mama Bear, and I began to be embarrassed and think of it as babyish. Mama Bear's new home became the top shelf in my closet. Now that I had outgrown this bear, I felt like I had lost something. I no longer had that sense of safety and comfort. But over time, I have discovered something new. I have discovered that I can turn to God for comfort and love and safety. And just like how I loved this bear, God loves you. No matter what you do, he will always be there for you, a constant companion that will guide you, no matter your age. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you so much for allowing us to come together on this Sunday morning. Thank you for teddy bears, for their comfort, their warmth, and their safety. And thank you for being almost like a teddy bear to us, for loving us eternally and always being there for us. Amen. Thank you, Corbin. All right, we will dismiss the choir first. And next, if you are a first grader, a second grader, a third grader, or a fourth grader, you are going to go with Mrs. Cost. Mrs. Weiner to Bible Alive. If you are four or five years old, you're going to go with Mrs. Coster to Bible Beginnings. Or Kindergarten.
Good morning. Today's scripture is from Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, and can be found on page 857 in the Pew Bible. Praise be to God, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of God. Now, I know the eyes of the sporting world are turned uh, toward the Olympic Games and Super Bowl, but I want to begin today by telling you a story from basketball, the National Basketball Association. Way back in the year 1984, at the NBA draft of college players and international players, the uh, Houston Rockets had the very first pick in the draft. And they chose uh, a man by the name of Hakeem Olajuwon, who for 18 years was a dynamic force in the NBA. Uh, All-star game, most valuable player. Uh, a recent rating of all of the players in the history of basketball rated Olajuwon number 11. With the number two pick, it was the Portland Trailblazers. And as a Portland boy, uh, I was quite interested and excited about who they might pick. So with their second pick in the draft, they chose Sam Bowie. That strike a bell? No. Sam Bowie had a very, very mediocre career, soon faded from the scene. But the third pick in that draft went to the Chicago Bulls. Do you know who they picked? I see some heads nodding. A guy from North Carolina named Michael Jordan. The Trailblazers could have picked Michael Jordan. They picked Sam Bowie, to which the Trailblazer fans say, Fooey. <laughs> In the second year of Sam Bowie's career, before a capacity crowd in Portland, he got the ball in what is called the low post, and he went up for a shot. I should say he was a tall, tall young man, taller even than Corbin. He reached seven feet tall. And uh, he jumped, and the fans on court side 
heard a sickening crack. And before Bowie landed again on the floor, his right shin bone was all but sticking through his skin. Bowie had had stress fractures that he had not tended to. And suddenly they became a compound fracture that ended his season and severely stalled his career. Stretch fractures, as I understand it, begin when the shocks and strains and pressure on feet and legs uh, create microscopic cracks in the outer layer of the bone. And if undetected, if not allowed to heal, the crack enlarges. And the crack becomes large enough to cause pain. And that's called a stress fracture. And they can become compound fractures as they did for Sam Bowie. So that's basketball, but that is also life. Stress fractures, painful and debilitating when they take place in our body, but that can't match the ache of a fractured spirit or a broken heart. A pain that haunts someone who has lost hope. We try chemicals and noise and crowds and trendy diversions, but it doesn't deaden the pain of a stress fracture until eventually, if not attended to, we hear the sickening crack in our souls. Now go back, way back, to the year 64 A.D. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, sends a message to a group of young Christians who scattered about the Roman Empire. It's a letter that we call 1 Peter. Corbin read our text a moment ago. The readers of this letter are under stress. Pressure is mounting. As he says in verse 6, I know you're going through a few trials right now. Now I tell you, that is a major understatement. The emperor of Rome is Nero. He has set fire to the city and burned two-thirds of it down to make room for his imagined building projects. To divert blame from himself, he blames the Christians, this rising sect that people don't understand. And a great persecution breaks out against the church, and they begin to go underground into the catacombs. And for the next five years, thousands will die, including Peter himself, who will be taken out on the Apian Way and crucified upside down, which leads me to point to the cover of the bulletin, pointing to the fact that life can get upside down and dark and scary, and Peter himself placed on a cross, but in honoring Jesus Christ, he said, I cannot be crucified as he was. Crucify me upside down. But there's something about that cross, about the events around it, that bring light and hope that fills followers of Jesus even to this very day. Um historian of the day who lived in Rome, Tacticus, wrote this about the persecution of Christians that he saw with his own eyes. 
In their deaths, they were made the subject of sport. For they were wrapped in the hides of wild beasts and torn to pieces by dogs. Or nailed to crosses. Or set on fire. Set on fire to light Nero's gardens at night. As the emperor mingled with crowds with his own guests, dressed as a charioteer. Christians were burnt on their crosses. Now, the premise of this book in 1 Peter, as Peter writes to these people under enormous pressure, is that you can have hope even in the darkest of circumstances because God has pulled Jesus Christ out of the grave. And that gives you undying hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His boundless mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope in the New Testament is always tied to the resurrection. And hope in the New Testament is always a living hope. Now, the living hope that Peter writes about is not wishful thinking that we sometimes engage in. I say, I sure hope my team wins, and it doesn't. I sure hope the weather is great, and it often isn't. Or we hope for certain events in the world or in our own personal life and family. But that's not so much a living hope as it is wishful thinking. Now, we wish for many things, rightly so, but... Some of our wishes that we call hopes, you know, they need to be discarded. If last fall and late September, after the third week in the National Football League season, you were still hoping the Lions would be playing next week in the Super Bowl, you needed to stop hoping. And the fact is that even authentic hope can get sick and die. And sometimes it's blown away with a sudden quickness when the one thing that we have placed our deepest hope in is blown out of our lives like a tent in the path of a hurricane. Or at other times it just dies ever so slowly in bits and pieces of disappointment like a stress fracture. Just a little more and a little more until we are broken. But Peter describes this living hope that we hope will be a part of all of our lives as we live out this year and all of our days. He describes it as something that is alive, that nothing can kill or defeat it or bury it. Well, actually, they did kill it once. Killed him. Dead. Buried. For three days his followers were crushed. They said, we had hoped that he would be Redeemer. But they were in for a big, big surprise. God in boundless mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
If God can pull Jesus Christ from the pit of death, he can lift us from the pit of stress and the deadness of our lives into an undying, always alive hope. Peter says it's priceless. I mean, how do you put a price tag on that? It's like, you know, taking your great aunt's painting that you discovered in the attic to Antiques Roadshow, and they tell you it's just of enormous value. Amazing. Or, you know, they might tell you it's of no value. Peter says this is priceless. The biblical message is don't put your hope in something unworthy of your life. Something that will be exposed as worthless. Jesus Christ is worthy of our life. Through his death and resurrection, we have been given a priceless inheritance beyond any expression of value. Now, Peter just wants, you know, like taking a hammer and being out there, wants, wants to drive in the truth that this priceless thing is permanent. No circumstance, no one can remove it. And he emphasizes it in four ways. He says God has reserved a priceless gift for his children of eternal life. Now, that's one reservation that will never be canceled. Now, we've all had reservations canceled. We show up at the airport, flight canceled, go to a ball game, it's rained out, hotel gets mixed up, no room for you. But this is a reservation entrusted to Jesus Christ. And then he says, it is kept in heaven for you. A reserved place just for you. No one can beat you to your place. Do you ever worry about that? When you're going somewhere, somebody will get the best seat or the best place. He says, hey, don't worry. It's reserved just for you. For you. Jesus has been there preparing that place, as he says to his disciples before his death, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again so that where I am, you can be kept in heaven for you. It is pure and undefiled. No force can spoil it. No thief can steal it. No monster can trample on it. It's not touched by sin or failure. It's never devalued by age or weakness. And then fourthly, he says, it's beyond the reach of change and decay. Now, change and decay, we know, is far, far reaching. We used to sing that old hymn, change and decay in all around I see. Yeah, everywhere we look, we see decay. I notice especially when I look in the mirror. Four times. Get the message. You can't lose it. It's reserved. It's kept. It's pure and undefiled. And it's beyond the reach of change and decay. So you don't need to lose hope. Here is something we can guarantee. No matter what happens in your life, how weak we become, how pained or depressed, how hurt or confused... Our future is secure not because of our goodness or our strength or our earnings or our success, but because of the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. Christ has won a priceless inheritance for us. He keeps it. He holds it. He protects it, reserved and undefiled. Let me close with the story that comes from the year 1945. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian and teacher and pastor, is an inmate in the Nazi prison at Schoenberg. The Sunday after Easter, he leads his fellow prisoners in a morning worship service. Survivors of that camp would say Bonhoeffer's courage and hope sustained us all. In that day, Bonhoeffer reads a text. It's First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He spoke of the meaning of those hopeful words in the tenuous lives of his fellow prisoners. Just as Bonhoeffer finished his closing prayer, the door of the cell burst open. Two sinister men enter and say, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, Come with us. Everyone knows what it means. As Bonhoeffer leaves the room, he whispers to a fellow prisoner, This is the end. But for me, it is the beginning of life. He's taken away. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, brilliant theologian, biblical scholar, ethicist, teacher, poet, son of a noble family of German intellectuals, becomes a martyr. He's hung until he is dead. But they never took his hope away. Bonhoeffer, with faith in Jesus Christ, had a living hope that neither Hitler nor even the stench of prison and death could snatch away. He could stand strong, amidst the pressure of it all and becomes for us a vivid example of what Peter, in his letter, wants his readers to embrace. May we hear these words and incorporate them into the comforts and discomforts of our life. We have a living hope. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For our call to offering this morning, I'd like to share a story from Mother Teresa that was written, Where There Is Love, There Is God. Some time ago, a man came to our house and he said, Mother, 
There is a family, a Hindu family, that has eight children. They have not eaten in a long time. Do something for them. So I took them some rice, and I went. When I arrived at their house, I could see the hunger in the children's eyes. Their eyes were shining with hunger. I gave the rice to the mother, and she took the rice. She divided it into two, and then she went out. When she came back, I asked her, where did you go? She said, they are hungry also. Next-door neighbors were also hungry. What struck me most, not that she gave the rice, but that she knew they were hungry. And because she knew, she shared. And this is what we have come to know. Love to be true has to hurt. And this woman who was hungry, she knew that her neighbor was also hungry. And that family happened to be a Muslim family. So it was touching and it was real. As we enter this time of offering, may the Holy Spirit bring to our minds those around us who are in need. And may we have the faith, strength, and love to move towards those in need and give in whatever way we can.
As we prepare for communion, we have just a few instructions. When we come to share the elements, you will be invited uh, row by row to come forward. We'd ask you to form two rows uh, to receive the bread and then the cup. And then you're welcome to return to your seat and have a personal time of meditation and then take the elements at a time that you choose. If you prefer to stay seated, an usher will bring you an individual package of the elements, which are also welcome to partake of at the time that you choose. Without exception, all are invited to this sacred meal. May you know the comfort of the Lord of all, who demonstrated his great love for us in pouring out his life on the cross. May you experience the hope of this miracle, and may you find God's true peace in your heart. Here in this place, and here at this time, we offer our praise and our love to God with gratitude for the feast before us. So, Lord, with all your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name with the unending hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Holy God, you are the true light, and we thank you for bringing us into your light that spreads radiance and joy instead of hopelessness and fear. As we approach this table of Holy Communion, let us be aware of how we are complicit in the systems of oppression and division, and let us also be aware of your unending forgiveness and grace. Thank you for this table that is open to all. What is in our, whatever is in our past or our future, we all are invited to partake of this holy meal. And we are grateful proclaiming the great mystery of faith. On this day, when a new confirmation class begins to explore the meaning and the depth of our faith, let us join with saints throughout all time and proclaim together the ancient Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker.
Fill all the saints on earth and all the saints gathered with us, Lord. You receive all honor and glory, almighty God, now and forever. And the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said, This is my body. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The table is prepared. Jesus invites you to his feast.
having gathered at the Lord's table. Let us now join our hearts and our voices as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.
A fitting benediction for today comes in Paul's letter to the Romans at the end of the book. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.